0: Hello friends, welcome to episode 55 of the R Weekly Highlights podcast. This is the podcast where we take a deeper look into the highlight posts originating from the current week issue of R Weekly. My name is Eric Nance, I'm delighted to have you with us today, and for this episode we are covering the issue highlights for week 35, released on August 30th, 2021. This week's issue was curated by Tony Elhabar with help from the R Weekly team members and contributors. It's always nice to have resources available that you can count on to provide even more of a window to the innovations happening throughout the R community. On top of what we have in each issue of R Weekly, we also have to thank our Studio's Joe Rickert for providing us with his monthly top 40 packages. And we now have a fresh list from the July releases of Packages The Crayon. Certainly check out the full post for all of the packages that Joe found, but I wanted to take this time for a few minutes here to highlight some notable releases that caught my eye out of this great list. First, a hot topic for myself personally, along with apparently many others, has been the discoverability of new techniques or frameworks across different programming languages and capabilities. Certainly, our packages themselves come to mind in the R community, but how about finding additional packages in, say, the Python or Node.js ecosystems? And taking it a step further, how can we effectively navigate the multiple repositories or other online storage mechanisms where these packages could live? A fundamental component to perhaps finding a solution to this endeavor is accurate and dependable metadata, and in particular, using a standard format for exchanging metadata across these different potential sources. I was really excited in this list to learn about the Code Meta package authored by our OpenSci co founder, Carl Bodeger, which enables you to quickly generate these metadata for existing R packages with a minimal dependency footprint. In fact, I see the CodeMeta project as having similar goals as our OpenSci, and I think it has great potential to bring collaboration and discoverability to another level in software associated with science. Definitely check out the show notes for this episode for more links about the CodeMeta project And how you can get involved and if you're looking for an out-of-the-box data set to sync your analytical chops on you might want to check out the beans package authored by RStudio software engineer and lead of the tidy models team Max Kuhn which has the morphological image measurements of dried beans from a fascinating manuscript that is linked in our episode show notes This looks like it could be a neat data set to practice machine learning on. And in fact, I'll make a note about this set as I'm about to embark on a learning journey with the tidy models ecosystem and machine learning in general. And as I mentioned earlier, check out Joe's post for many excellent packages found in last month across very different spectrums, such as more utility-like packages, and also, highly specialized ones that are addressing the needs of new analytics and machine learning and much more. Throughout the duration of the R Weekly Highlights podcast, and in particular, each issue of R Weekly, there has been no shortage of seeing excellent resources and showcases of using R Markdown to produce innovative reports and other great analytical outputs for consumption and being able to supercharge a lot of different data analysis pipelines. Many of the resources that have been shared in previous releases of R Weekly have dived into specific components and certainly found great ways of applying this in the real world but sometimes it helps to have a nice refresher and more importantly a great demonstration of all these different capabilities in action in an easily digestible way and as someone who's been doing a little bit of live streaming and video content on producing great shiny applications for example it was really cool to see one of my favorite mediums of sharing such great breakthroughs in that live streaming was also recently used to showcase a lot more about R Markdown. In fact studios Thomas Mock who has been no stranger to some great innovations that have been shared on R Weekly, decided to do his own live stream about the different capabilities and power of R Markdown. I have full confidence in saying that there is a bit of something for everybody, no matter what your experience level is with R Markdown. Some of the key threads from Thomas's great demonstrations include that R Markdown while it may have just seemed like starting out as a way to implement literate programming or as championed by Donald Knuth, it is much more than that these days. Thomas covered the basics of R Markdown in the early goings, but also along the way, showcased one of the great innovations with respect to the RStudio IDE in the visual editor, which in my opinion, really smooths out the experience of creating documents and seeing what your generated output is going to look like right away in fact i'm always excited in these kind of streams or video productions to see someone's real-time workflow when they present these demonstrations and in fact with this being a live stream broadcast we got to see that even thomas like me and probably many others tends to have quite a few tabs open in their Studio IDE. Don't even get me started on how many tabs I have open on my Firefox browser, but that's for another podcast. And some other great capabilities that I wanted to highlight here are the concept of control documents, where you're able to modularize data science tasks and pipelines, but our markdown is kind of the orchestrator behind all of it. There are many techniques to make this happen that are supported in R Markdown, such as using the params capability in the YAML header of an R Markdown document, but you're certainly not limited to that. You could even reference a simple R script in your R code chunks, thanks to Knitter's read chunk functionality. And also the concept of child documents can be really powerful where basically you could have one document to serve as what you might call the parent document. And then through code chunks, you can reference particular child documents. But it's one thing, just the reference one. You can even build in conditional logic that you might use to help select a particular child document based on say, a variable being present, or maybe a range of a numeric variable being present. Which could be really handy if you want to do an overall report that will have dynamic output depending on some kind of condition coming into the parameters. And all of that can be done in what I'll call the interactive flow of compiling documents, but you really start to unlock some real power here when you leverage the R Markdown render function and be able to feed in custom parameters as simple function parameters. Now you've opened the possibilities of having another process or another workflow dictate how you render these documents. And then Thomas concluded with some really cool comparisons of the glue package, which I use quite a bit for string interpolation, but also the relatively new whisker package. Whisker is very similar to glue, but it has a key difference where Glue lets you plug in R expressions inside the wildcard placeholders, such as getting the number of rows of a data set or things like that. Whisker is a little more strict, strict and it expects text, but what can really be helpful from Whisker's perspective is the idea of letting you have a general template or markdown file with these wildcards in place but then you can write a custom function that would be the driver for compiling these documents and the function parameters could serve as the variables or to insert into the the template document. And that template document doesn't need anything else besides the typical narrative and those wildcard placeholders. And being in the function workspace of the environment, it'll know what to do with those parameters that you specify. What is really cool about this that Thomas demonstrated towards the end is that maybe that process gets you an initial state of a robust document, but then you can continue to edit that after the fact and have it look like it was a document that you wrote from scratch already without having wildcards in there anymore. So admittedly, I haven't wrapped my head fully around how I would implement this yet, but I have been been consulted about some various work projects where we want to leverage R Markdown in a more automated fashion. And I think this combination of whisker and R Markdown could get me in some really fun places down the road. And frankly, Thomas's style is something I really resonate with. The best way I learn Is by doing and finding a cool technique or a cool setting to apply new techniques via project based learning. Almost everything I've learned that's been new in the art community has been from some kind of project, either inspired by work or just inspired by me wanting to try something completely different. But hands on learning, like what Thomas showed here, is a great way for you to take your skills to another level. And definitely check out this episode's show notes for a link to the GitHub repository of Thomas's complete set of our markdown files, our scripts and other notes that he shared throughout the live stream. And speaking of using personal projects or project-based learning, that leads us to our last highlight today where that's playing a key role in building some excellent training materials. Cedric Schurer, who's been featured heavily on previous issues of R Weekly for his immense power with ggplot2 and his very engaging tutorials on his blog for doing really innovative visualizations, has been hard at work preparing a hands-on training session later in September. And along the way, he wanted to build in a module that addresses mapping with ggplot2. So while it would have been easy enough to do a a map with ggplot 2 with some kind of numeric variable like birth rate or other things like that, Cedric decided to do something pretty unique. Obviously, each country is named with a word, of course. So what would happen if he was able to extract the first letter of each country in the entire world and then be able to see which letters actually cover the largest area so to speak and which ones just simply aren't so common this ends up being a pretty extensive exercise of a light that covered a lot of different parts that we deal with when on a applied situation such as assembling the data assembling a, a design approach and design thinking and then producing that result with hopefully an engaging visualization that will get attention and be able to convey the key messages. So there were some choices that Cedric had to make about extracting the names and augmenting the natural earth data with also the CIA world Factbook, and then being able to take the shape files of each of these countries and extract the first letter with the string R package, another one that I use quite extensively, being able to utilize the SF package, which is definitely a staple in the geospatial space of the R community, to be able to calculate and derive the area that all countries that start with that letter actually cover. And then with a little bit of faceting magic, Cedric is able to produce a very engaging global view of the different areas depicted by the country first letters shaded with a nice palette inspired by what looks like tableau of all things now cedric's post unfortunately doesn't have the code behind it but it looks like we'll be seeing that pretty soon but if you're ever curious about what is possible with the ggplot2 framework and in particular doing engaging maps this post can definitely inspire you to think outside the box and trying something radically different but yet be able to produce an engaging visualization that could get a lot of attention and frankly open your eyes to more possibilities. And those are your art weekly highlights for today. Tony has another fantastic release this week with some great new resources and package updates including a comprehensive example of extracting articles from online news sources via the quick news package some big updates to the cheat sheets that have been produced by our studio and the broader R community, a great hands-on look at being able to annotate directly on an area plot with ggplot2, and much more. And we certainly would welcome your support, and you have multiple ways of doing so. If you head to rweekly.org, you can find the link to the about page where we share where we are on social media, and ways that you can contribute via Patreon, but also we are certainly eager to have curators join us on this journey. At the top of each issue you'll see a direct link for how you can get your own content shared with our weekly and to be able to join our curator team. Have a fantastic week and we will be back with another batch of our weekly highlights next week.